Hi, I'm Cleo, and this is the podcast in which I use my PhD in English to interpret the songs of Taylor Swift. As Andrew Lloyd Webber tells it in his autobiography Unmasked, the lyrics to his hit song Memory were cobbled together out of a T.S. Eliot poem and some notes jotted down by Trevor Nunn, who directed and helped create the musical Cats. Weber had composed the music some years prior as a deliberate imitation of Puccini, and decided to insert the song into this musical, but obviously it needed lyrics. After a complicated situation that involved Tim Rice threatening to sue when some lyrics he had written for a prior version of the song were still being performed, Andrew Lloyd Webber met with Nunn, and they came out of that meeting with two separate versions of the song, one to release as a single and one to be performed as part of the show. This complicated genesis stands in stark contrast to the process of creating Beautiful Ghosts, a song that was specifically inserted into the movie version of Cats as a response, or even a riposte, to memory. As Weber tells it, Taylor Swift came into the studio, he played her the music, and she basically instantly came up with her lyrics for the song. I played it to you, and I said there's a new song. You said, I'll do the lyric, and you did it then and there, more or less. Tom Hooper, the director of the movie version of Cats, suggests that Taylor just had some, you know, basic and immense understanding of the show Cats and of what they were trying to do in this movie version of it. What I couldn't believe was the extraordinary beauty of these lyrics that Taylor had written. And it was as if someone had come into the film I was in the middle of making and, you know, read the script and met the actors and seen the world and reflected back to me a, a, a profound understanding of what we're trying to do with the movie, so it was utterly thrilling. And Andrew Lloyd Webber has said much the same thing in interviews. Uh, for example, quote, Taylor got to the essence of what the piece is about. It's not an ordinary lyric. It's a very sophisticated lyric, and it's entirely written for the dramatic situation. Tom Hooper said to me, it's as if she's been reading her T.S. Eliot without us knowing. Swift herself goes even further, claiming not just to have read Eliot, which I think she clearly has, but to be something of a replacement, a stand-in for Eliot in this modern age. T.S. Eliot is such a specific type of writer and uses such specific language and imagery, and so reading through like his work and everything, I just really wanted to reflect that within. You can't, you can't write a modern lyric for Cats, mm. so like if you can't get T.S. Eliot, like, Get T.S. I'm here for you. Is Taylor Swift T.S. Eliot Redivivus? So I suggest that the two of them do, in fact, have a lot in common. T.S. Eliot was born in St. Louis, Missouri, but spent most of his adult life in London and was fluent in French, visiting France at a young age and cultivating connections there. He thought of his point of view as being, quote, an American who wasn't an American. For example, he was born in the south of the U.S., but went to school in New England, where his accent marked him as an outsider, and he felt no connection to contemporary America. As an American who was sort of living outside of his country and assimilating in some ways, but not perfectly fitting into anywhere he went, he considered himself to be never anything anywhere. Perhaps because of this, he wrote poetry that was grounded in specificity filled with scraps of seemingly overheard conversation and mundane interactions that betray an undercurrent of despair, a juxtaposition that you can see as comic or tragic. For example, in these lines from his poem, Portrait of a Lady. Now that lilacs are in bloom, she has a bowl of lilacs in her room and twists one in her fingers while she talks. Ah, my friend, you do not know, you do not know what life is, you who hold it in your hands. 
slowly twisting the lilac stalks. You let it flow from you, you let it flow, and youth is cruel and has no more remorse and smiles at situations which it cannot see. I smile, of course, and go on drinking tea. And he had a strange and very goofy sense of humor, always attracted to light verse. He, of course, wrote a whole book of poems about cats. Taylor Swift was born in Pennsylvania, but moved to Nashville at a young age to pursue a career in country music. In the early 2010s, she started shifting her sound and around the same time losing her accent. And soon she moved to New York and started spending large amounts of time in London as well, a change she celebrated in the songs Welcome to New York and London Boy, which are not, I think, considered to be some of her most successful songs. She's known for a number of things, but particularly for her use of concrete detail to illustrate particular moments in a relationship. For example, in these lines from Stay, Stay, Stay. I'm pretty sure we almost broke up last night. I threw my phone across the room at you. I was expecting some dramatic turn away, but you stayed. This morning I said we should talk about it, because I read you should never leave a fight unresolved. That's when you came in wearing a football helmet and said, okay, let's talk. And I said, stay, stay, stay. And the other thing she's known for is her use of metaphor. For example, in Dear John, the sky seems to be a metaphor for what seems possible in your life, for the future. I swore I was fine, you paint me a blue sky, and go back and turn it to rain. And this turns at the end to, I'm shining like fireworks over your sad, empty town. And Taylor is also known for her humor, for getting at the heart of human absurdity. For example, in I Bet You Think About Me, in which she seems to be laughing both, both at the boyfriend and at herself, at him for being a self-obsessed hipster, and at herself for being so obsessed with him. I bet you think about me when you're out at your cool indie music concerts every week. I bet you think about me in your house with your organic shoes and your million dollar couch. I bet you think about me when you say, oh my god, she's insane, she wrote a song about me. I bet you think about me. So I do see a number of similarities between the TSs in their shifting identities, the specificity of their writing, their love of concrete images, and their humor. So for today, what I want to do is to talk about memory and what relation it has to the T.S. Eliot poem and adapts Rhapsody on a Windy Night, and then how Taylor's lyrics for Beautiful, Beautiful Ghost relate back both to memory and to that T.S. Eliot poem. And this is memory. I'm just going to read the lyrics out. Midnight, not a sound from the pavement. Has the moon lost her memory? She's smiling alone. In the lamplight, the withered leaves collect at my feet, and the wind begins to moan. Memory, all alone in the moonlight, I can smile at the old days. I was beautiful then. I remember the time I knew what happiness was. Let the memory live again. Every street lamp seems to beat a fatalistic warning. Someone mutters, and the street lamp gutters, and soon it will be morning. Daylight, I must wait for the sunrise. I must think of a new life, and I mustn't give in. When the dawn comes, tonight will be a memory too, and a new day will begin. Burned out ends of smoky days, the stale cold smell of morning. The street lamp dies, another night is over, another day is dawning. Touch me, it's so easy to leave me, all alone with my memory of my days in the sun. If you touch me, you'll understand what happiness is. Look, a new day has begun. This song doesn't come from the old possum book of Practical Cats. It's actually adapted from another T.S. Eliot poem, Rhapsody on a Windy Night. 
And so it's not about cats, although Rhapsody on a Windy Night does mention a stray cat at one point. And that's a, that's a significant difference, obviously. I don't think we exactly know who the speaker of Rhapsody and Windy Night is, but I think we can, we're pretty sure it's not a cat, um, although of course it might be. Um, I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll sort of think about similarities and differences. Rhapsody on a Windy Night by T.S. Eliot. Twelve o'clock. Along the reaches of the street held in a lunar synthesis, whispering lunar incantations, dissolve the floors of memory and all its clear relations, its divisions and precisions. Every street lamp that I pass beats like a fatalistic drum, and through the spaces of the dark, midnight shakes the memory as a madman shakes a dead geranium. Half past one, the street lamp sputtered, the street lamp muttered. The street lamp said, regard that woman who hesitates towards you in the light of the door which opens on her like a grin. You see the border of her dress is torn and stained with sand, and you see the corner of her eye twists like a crooked pin. The memory throws up high and dry a crowd of twisted things. A twisted branch upon the beach, eaten smooth and polished as if the world gave up the secret of its skeleton stiff and white. A broken spring in a factory yard, rust that clings to the form that the strength has left hard and curled and ready to snap. Half past two, the street lamp said. Remark the cat which flattens itself in the gutter, slips out its tongue, and devours a morsel of rancid butter. So the hand of a child, automatic, slipped out and pocketed a toy that was running along the quay. I could see nothing behind that child's eye. I have seen eyes in the street trying to peer through lighted shutters, and a crab one afternoon in the pool, an old crab with barnacles on his back, gripped the end of a stick which I held him. Half past three, the lamp sputtered, the lamp muttered in the dark. The lamp hummed, regard the moon, la lune ne garde aucune rancune, she winks a feeble eye, she smiles into corners, she smooths the hair of the grass, the moon has lost her memory. A washed-out smallpox cracks her face, her hand twists a paper rose that smells of dust and old cologne, she is alone, with all the old nocturnal smells that cross and cross across her brain. The reminiscence comes of sunless dry geraniums and dust in crevices, smells of chestnuts in the streets and female smells in shuttered rooms, and cigarettes in corridors and cocktail smells in bars. The lamp said, four o'clock, here is the number on the door. Memory, you have the key. The little lamp spreads a ring on the stair. Mount. The bed is open. The toothbrush hangs on the wall. Put your shoes at the door. Sleep. Prepare for life. The last twist of the night. You can kind of see just from that, right, how the adaptation was done, which was to pick out occasional lines to keep almost entirely the same. Um, and just in terms of sort of the structure and the, the thematics, memory and Rhapsody on a Windy Night both take place at night and sort of take you all the way through to dawn. Uh, memory ends pretty hopefully, a new day has begun, whereas Rhapsody on a Windy Night ends with the line, the last twist of the knife. And I think that this is a really interesting, you know, final stanza here. The bed is open, the toothbrush hangs on the wall, put your shoes at the door, sleep, prepare for life. The last twist of the knife. This hopeful injunction, which is something that the lamp is saying, right, prepare for life, this is all quoted from the street lamp, which is talking to the speaker, is a twist of the knife here, maybe because it's a reminder of sort of this inevitable and grim repetition where sort of the night sort of repeats itself and then you have day and then you have night again, 
Or maybe it's a twist of the knife because there is no life left. But clearly there's something about the idea of routine, of returning to a door to which you have the key, of remembering the number on the door, uh, which is a cruel reminder of something. It's not entirely clear what, but potentially memory itself is the problem here. Being reminded of anything, having any kind of routine in your life is the twist of the knife. Memory comes back to you and you see, oh, this is who I am. This is my life. Uh, this is all there is, in, in other words. And earlier we have sort of this other way of interacting with the houses on the street, which is the eyes in the street trying to peer through lighted shutters, um, which are sort of put next to a crab uh, gripping the end of a stick, which you hold out to him, that those two images juxtaposed, perhaps, you know, in comparison. And I certainly see that both of those as being about people trying to grasp something that isn't available to them, that they don't have. Looking into the shutters of a, a house that isn't yours, right? Being a crab grasping a stick. And that could be another reading of the twist of the knife at the end, right? Whereas the lamp is sort of recounting this idea of sort of going into one of the houses and preparing for the next day, preparing for life. Maybe that's the twist of the knife, that you can't actually get inside any of the houses, that none of them is yours. So maybe that is, maybe that is the point. But I suspect that it's belonging within one of the houses that is worse than not belonging with any, any of the houses. And that the point is sort of this realization of the domesticity of one's own life, of the fact that one spends so much time getting ready, you know, getting ready for bed, which is getting ready for life, and that it's all kind of pointless and grim. I kind of suspect that that's the point. Uh, I do feel that I should probably have looked up some criticism <laughs> before talking about this. I do think that this is kind of a reflection on sort of another poetic um, moment of sort of pacing a street, contemplating memories, which is uh, from Tennyson's In Memoriam. And so I think that I hear this especially a few stanzas down where we have, you know, and I hear this actually in the meter as much as in the subject matter. The moon has lost her memory, a washed out smallpox cracks her face, and then a little later with all the old nocturnal smells that cross and cross across her brain. Um, I think that to me at least there is sort of the recollection of In Memoriam, which is a long poem uh, about the death of his friend, but contains some lines that go, Dark house by which once more I stand, here in the long, unlovely street, doors where my heart was used to beat so quickly, waiting for a hand, a hand that can be clasped no more. Behold me, for I cannot sleep, and like a guilty thing I creep at earliest morning to the door. He is not here, but far away the noise of life begins again, and ghastly through the drizzling rain on the bald street breaks the blank day. So... Metrically, I think there are some there's some memory of that, and also it's sort of this idea of going to this uh, this street in the darkness of the early morning and having sort of this moment of of despair. Anyway, so in the song that this becomes, memory in Nun slash Weber's version, it's a lot clearer why memory is a twist of the knife. Um, it's less of sort of an overall unease, and it's specifically that this cat is recalling being beautiful in the old days and being happy, which she no longer is. Um, but then, you know, uh, the new day begins, and that's kind of that kind of represents sort of an unproblematic hope for tomorrow. And interestingly, in the movie, the song that Taylor wrote the lyrics to, Beautiful Ghosts, immediately follows the song Memory. 
Uh, Jennifer Hudson playing Grisabella sings Memory, and then Victoria, played by Francesca Hayward, responds with Beautiful Ghosts. And I'll just read Beautiful Ghosts to you. Follow me home if you dare to. I wouldn't know where to lead you. Should I take chances when no one took chances on me? So I watch from the dark, wait for my life to start, with no beauty in my memory. All that I wanted was to be wanted, too young to wander London streets alone and haunted, born into nothing. At least you have something, something to cling to. Visions of dazzling rooms I'll never get let into. And the memories were lost long ago, but at least you have beautiful ghosts. Perilous night, their voices calling, a flicker of light before the dawning. Out here, the wild ones are taming the fear within me, scared to call them my friends and be broken again. Is this hope just a mystical dream? All that I wanted was to be wanted, too young to wander London streets alone and haunted. Born into nothing, at least you have something, something to cling to. Visions of dazzling rooms I'll never get let into. And the memories were lost long ago. But at least you have beautiful ghosts, and so maybe my home isn't what I had known, what I thought it would be. But I feel so alive with these phantoms of night, and I know that this life isn't safe, but it's wild and it's free. All that I wanted was to be wanted. I'll never wander London streets alone and haunted, born into nothing. With them I have something, something to cling to. I never knew I'd love this world they've let me into, and the memories were lost long ago. So I'll dance with these beautiful ghosts, and the memories were lost long ago. So I'll dance with these beautiful ghosts. Essentially, Victoria is responding that unlike Grisabella, she has no beauty in her memory. And she tells the older cat, at least you have something, something to cling to. Visions of dazzling rooms I'll never get let into. Victoria will never be let into the dazzling rooms at all. And although Grisabella can't access them, she has visions of them in her memory. She has been in the rooms, even though she can't go into them any longer. And v Victoria is claiming that this memory is better than having nothing, than never having experienced anything at all. If we go back to the Eliot poem, Victoria is here, you know, like the stranger peering in through the windows, or the crab grasping at the stick, wanting something to cling to. She wants to be let in. She wants more than she has. Her experience of, is of a kind of belatedness, of never having had a chance to lose the beauty that Grisabella has lost. Um, but if she doesn't have beauty, she does have ghosts. Maybe my home isn't what I had known, what I thought it would be, but I feel so alive with these phantoms of night. And she says later, with them I have something, something to cling to. Because she loves this world they've let me into. So even though she doesn't have the beauty of the past, she has the ghosts of those who remember the beauty of the past. A sort of vicarious death through the ghosts who had the life she wanted and was born too late to have. And here the ghosts, I think, are the cats who are sort of living in their memory, like Grisabella, who are living in their memory of what's long gone. And I think in some ways the ghosts are their memories themselves and the past that she's able to access through them. And this is all very on brand for Taylor in some ways, uh, in terms of the use of death, for example. And I think you can see parallels here with the lakes in which she reflects on her relationship to the dead lake poets, for which see episode one. It also feels like it's a reflection on the fact that she's collaborating with Andrew Lloyd Webber on a work that was written before she was even born, as if she's almost traveling back in time to get in on the making of cats. And the mention of phantoms here specifically inevitably feels like a nod to the Phantom of the Opera as well. 
So where does this leave us? So as Tom Hooper allegedly said, right, according to Weber, it's as if she's been reading her T.S. Eliot without us knowing. And whether or not Tom Hooper ever said that, and it does seem like something that he would say because he uses this as if formulation to talk about Taylor coming in and it being as if she understood the movie and its spirit. Andrew Lloyd Webber has actually been quoted directly as saying much the same thing that he attributes to Tom Hooper here. So for example, he told The Hollywood Reporter, I think she's written lyrics that are first dramatic, and secondly, it's almost as if she's read T.S. Eliot herself. Maybe she had, because she's so thorough and professional. It's pretty clear to me that Taylor Swift has in fact read T.S. Eliot from the way that she talks about him, so I'm not sure why the as-if is there. <laughs> but let's talk about the way that this as-if is working rhetorically. So it's one thing for Taylor to deliberately imitate T.S. Eliot and Andrew Lloyd Webber and Trevor Nunn, as indeed I would argue that she is doing. That would be Taylor reading T.S. Eliot. It's another thing for Taylor's genuine artistic expression to come out seeming unnervingly close to T.S. Eliot's. This makes of Taylor Swift a kind of spiritual heir to T.S. Eliot, an untutored great American poet who rivals the great modernist with her unpracticed verse. And that's the as if, right? That's as if Taylor Swift is reading T.S. Eliot. Um, this is a very interesting myth to cultivate, and although I think it's pretty obviously not true, it definitely points to the way that Taylor Swift as a public figure is thought of. She's much more respected than she, that she, than she once was. This characterization of Taylor Swift would have seemed ludicrous, you know, 10 years ago. In fact, Taylor is deliberately imitating various styles in this song, writing as if she is Andrew Lloyd Webber and Trevor Nunn rewriting T.S. Eliot. And in fact, this is kind of what the song is about, right? The song is about being invited to the party late, but having a good time anyway. Being accepted by an earlier generation that faced different struggles from yours, and sort of getting through them some sense of what it was like to live in the past. And ghosts here, I think, function in a way, as authors of the works that you adapt. And so sort of dancing with beautiful ghosts is a way of thinking about this kind of artistic imitation. In an image that I think T.S. Eliot would approve of, the ghosts of the past are parting ranks to let you in. Um, anyway, let me know what you think. Uh, thanks for listening to Studies in Taylor Swift. You can write in with questions or comments at studiesintaylorswift at gmail.com. You're listening to Happy Strumming by Audionautics. <laughs>